3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a market in summer, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'd be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1 800 743 CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Welcome to September. The most treacherous of months. Now, look, there's no evil magic to it, but you should get used to days like today. Dow shed 69 points. That's speed decline, 0.13%. But the Nasdaq lost 0.57%.
4: The house of pain. Because
3: I believe there'll be far more of them than we've come to expect ever since the bottom 18 months ago. Why am I so concerned about the weeks ahead other than the self-fulfilling prophecy that September does tend to be rough and it's been ages since we've had a real decline? Let's not waste time. I'm taking them right down. One, earnings. That's right, earnings. Call me old-fashioned, but I think the stock market is very much tied to how companies are actually doing. These numbers have been phenomenal for ages. We've gotten up spoiled, spoiled by upside surprise after upside surprise. Today, though, we've seen the nasty side of earnings surprises, the downside ones. And let me tell you, they're no fun at all. <laughs> And we're not prepared for the damage. Two venerable companies, Sherwin-Williams and Pulte Group, both pre-announced disappointing orders. Hey, you know what that is? They, they disappointed earnings top and bottom line. Why? Supply chain problems and raw cost inflation. Wow, that's a, that's a pink company and a home builder. That comes on top of yesterday's ugly pre-announcement from PPG, the coatings company that hit us with its second shortfall in a row for the same reasons. The raw cost problems now includes the price of natural gas, something we haven't had to worry about for a long time. You know, it used to hang around three bucks. Now it's approaching five bucks. That's way too expensive for a fuel that dominates our nation's power supply, serves as a basic building block for so many chemicals. The good news, none of their stocks got crushed because demand's still in good shape. That's right. I mean, they're still getting business. The bad news, these supply problems, they're not going away. Seems like they've become ingrained. No wonder the Federal Reserve's beige book out at 2 o'clock today, the board's assemblage of reports showed continued elevation of inflation. It's just true. We're stuck with it, man. That brings us to problem number two. The Federal Reserve has made a big bet that inflation would be transitory. That's why they've continued buying bonds, keeping interest rates low. However, after these pre-announcements where we keep hearing about rising raw costs, don't you have to wonder if inflation's more intractable than they thought? It's like that semiconductor shortage is confounded in so many different industries, leading to higher prices practically everywhere you look. That's going to put tremendous pressure on Fed Chief Jay Powell to raise interest rates. And that is still among most people's worries, more than earnings shortfalls where I'm concerned. Hey, look, this is the way people think. This is how Wall Street thinks. You you, want to fix the housing shortage? Raise mortgage rates. You want the semiconductor shortage to come down? Well, people buy chip-filled cars with borrowed money. Raise the cost of that money, the demand will dry up. Yes! Higher rates are the magical elixir that can break the inflationary cycle, but they do that by destroying demand, and that crushes earnings, which in turn crushes stocks. Third, if rates are headed higher, that creates more competition for high-yielding dividend stocks. These days, not many stocks are supported by their yields, but there will be even fewer if rates go up. Today, we got a bit of conundrum. The stocks with the best yields rallied, perhaps because we're still in the aftermath of last Friday's anemic employment number. We also saw an upside surprise from the dividend kingpins today. General Mills told a rapt audience that business was coming in at the high side of its estimates, because some strong pet food sales. Well, the pin action, of course, was overwhelming, and that group sent the whole food cohort higher. Talk about bad leadership, those are the recession stocks. Let's hope that after the close, Lulu Lemon's great number and RH's numbers change, change the complexion of this market. But if you throw in the rally in utilities, it feels like many investors have already given up on this economy. They think the Fed will throw us into recession. I disagree with that analysis. But if you believe we're at the beginning of a new rate hike cycle, then buying the recession. Resistant stocks make a ton of sense. You certainly won't want to hear from Cleveland Cliffs later in the show, uh, one of the largest steel companies in the country. Well, then we've got a problem that I regard as being I don't Who would have thought this just a few months ago? Yeah, too much stimulus. The president and his allies in Congress want a gigantic stimulus package on top of the smaller bipartisan infrastructure bill. That would supercharge the economy, but it also caused major wage inflation, which is good if you work for a living, but bad if you own stocks. We already have 10 million unfilled jobs. However, if that big stimulus package gets killed, the investors who are dependent on it and what it would do to companies they own. Well, I got to tell you, those people will be disappointed because this without this. Well, you can't pop up the sickles. Either Congress passes this thing and the Fed will have to tighten in order to tamp down inflation or Congress fails and the economy, or at least the cyclical part, will get hurt with no federal support. Of course, there's one way out of this dilemma. It's just not a good way. If the runaway Delta variant causes enough of a slowdown, the Fed won't need to slam the brakes on the economy because the pandemic will do the job for them. Talk about a Hobson's choice, higher rates or more COVID. Either way, the economy gets hurt. I'll take a rain check on both. All that said, the natural buyers, the people who send their money into the mutual funds every month, you, well, by nature, well, that usually sops up the excess supply created by all the selling. But if you think there's enough money on the sidelines to support these prices, you still need to reckon with the nightmare of excess supply from all these endless IPOs. Now, I am on the floor of the Stock Exchange every morning, and I am overwhelmed by the number of companies coming public. And I love companies. And that's whether through ill-formed and ill-advised SPACs to raw money losers, companies with little to no hope of turning a profit. But they have catchy names and good ad campaigns, so they come public anyway. Remember, I've always said that new supply serves as a wet blanket, dousing the fire of the buyers. Of course, this IPO cycle will eventually play out like they always do, with a sell-off that lowers all prices to levels where stocks are more attractive. We can't seem to stop this deal flow. Incredible, given the awful performance of most SPACs. Unfortunately, there's too much money to be made creating these things, The investment bankers won't let up until the golden goose of public money is slain. They'll kill it. That takes time. Finally, there's one last worry that just can't seem to stay on the radar screen, no matter what I do to talk about it, and that's China. After decades of communism in name only, President Xi has decided to go all in on, and I quote, common prosperity. He's sounding more like Chairman Mao, certainly more than any Chinese leader since, well, uh, Mao. It's very bad for business, but honestly, I'm much more worried about China's horrific human rights track record. Most of all, I'm concerned that this authoritarian turn will embolden him to keep putting pressure on Taiwan, possibly doing something crazy like invading, or at least invading some of the nearby islands. If there's a conflict in the Taiwan Strait, that jeopardizes the whole semiconductor supply chain because we buy so many chips from Taiwan Semi. More importantly, this is the kind of thing that could set off World War Three. To loosely paraphrase Sun Ra and his outer space orchestra nuclear war. It's bad for business. Here's the bottom line. At the end of the day, I think we can deal with any of these issues, but not all at once, at least not without lower stock prices. And lower stock prices is what September's all about. Brook in Minnesota, Brooke. Hey, Jim, thanks for having me. No problem. All right. So uh, this company has had good news over the past few
5: months,
1: uh, but it's yet to cross $21 after, since February. I'm referring to Fisker, FSR. Is this something you should keep holding, or should I put this money elsewhere?
3: Well, of the ones that have hope to be asset light automobile companies, it is FSR, Fisker. At this point, $13. I'm not a seller. Bob in New York, Bob! Hello, Jim. How are you? I am good, Bob. How about you? I'm doing fine, thanks. Hey, Jim, Microsoft uh, is hiring former Amazon Cloud executive Charlie Bell. On face value, it looks as though this is a major coup for the company. Is this the type of hire that indicates to the investment community that there's substantial growth in the cloud yet and is a catalyst for a higher stock price? Well, I think what it does say, not unlike Ford, by the way, taking this fellow field from uh, Apple, is that the momentum remains intact at Microsoft. It's a stock I like. It's a stock that can still be bought over $300. Dan in Pennsylvania, Dan.
1: Hey Jim, it's Dan from Bethlehem, PA. Hey, question I, have, uh, <laughs> I was just thinking of you.
3: Qualys. I was thinking of you because we're talking to we're talking to Cleveland Cliffs, the old rival of Bethlehem Steel. What's going on? Hey, yeah, Qualys, uh, ticker QLYS. Uh, they great. They got the great revenue quarter over quarter, year over year. They keep increasing. Revenue and earnings—they consistently beat earnings. Or I think they're a great cybersecurity play. What, what's your take? I on I couldn't it? agree more. And it's not even as expensive as the others, although it's expensive versus the rest of the market. I think you got a winner. But remember, we got to deal with the likes of Sentinel One. We got to deal with Palo Alto Networks. We got to deal with CrowdStrike. It is crowded, but there's a lot of business to be done. That used to is like today. They start weak, kinda of get stronger, they get weaker, and then kinda of at the end of the day you work less than you were yesterday. We can deal with any musicians though. But we can't deal with them all at once, not without seeing overall lower prices. Well, man, buddy, tonight, Cleveland Cliffs has fallen flat after peaking in mid-August. So could the largest flat-rolled steel company in North America be ready to construct some gains of steel in your portfolio? Hey, let's check in with the CEO. And signature symbol SIGs continue to shine this year. And after putting a top and bottom line beat, isn't it time to say I do to the stock? Don't miss my exclusive with the company's top risk. And Sentinel-1, letter S, hit Wall Street with a bang. But after there's thrown first quarter, I mean, could the company defend its title in the cybersecurity space after rallying so much? Let's speak to the CEO and stay with Kramer.
4: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets.
0: Visibility at Indeed.com slash MadMoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash MadMoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash MadMoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: What do we do with the smokestack stocks now that the Delta variant wreaking havoc on the global economy? Roughly a month ago, we got a great quarter from Cleveland Cliffs. That's the largest flat-rolled steel producer in North America and a favorite of mine. But in recent weeks, the stock has pulled back more than 12 percent from its August highs thanks to the Delta slowdown, worries that Congress might not be able to pass Biden's big infrastructure package. Cleveland Cliffs is a tough nut to crack. On the one hand, it's a terrific company with an insanely cheap stock, four times earnings. I mean, it's crazy, right? On the other hand, it's up nearly 800 percent over the last 18 months. If the economy really slows down, then steel prices could get hammered, translating to weaker earnings. Maybe there's something different, though. Before you give up on the steel trade, we got to check in with Lorenzo Gonzalez. He's the chairman and CEO of Cleveland Cliffs. Get a better sense of where this company is headed, Mr. Gonzalez.
6: Welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you very much for having me on, Jim. It's a pleasure to talk to you again. Same. I want to get right to the heart of it. The new economy, sir, it runs on steel. Am I right? Yeah. The new economy is no different than the old economy. Everything that is surrounding us has steel, and we supply them all. Cars, bridges, airports, wind towers, you name it, we are everywhere.
3: But you're talking about things like when you talk about wind towers or solar extrusions, you're talking about secular growth, not the usual cyclical growth. I used to live next to Bethlehem Steel. One day it was great, then the next day it was bad. That's not what I'm seeing anymore. Things have changed.
6: Management changed a little bit as well. We took over and uh, we are a different type of people. We run this business as a business. We run for profits. We run for the shareholders. We would like the shareholders to make money. And uh, we run the business for return on investment. So it's all basics. And uh, we run based on the basics.
3: People have to understand that in Bethlehem Steel, 1964, Four out of the top 10 executives in this country worked at Bethlehem Steel, and they had two different golf courses. That's changed, obviously. I don't see golf courses in in Lorenzo's future. But I do care tremendously about the automotive supply chain. Now, we know we have to be worried because of semiconductors. We know that things are are slow because of that. But in truth, the steel business has never been better when it comes to autos.
6: Well, we are self-sufficient. We are integrated. So we go from iron War on the ground in Minnesota and Michigan, all the way down to stamped parts. So we deal with uh, mining trucks and we deal with robots producing uh, door rings for the car manufacturers. So we manage the supply chain for our clients. Uh, and uh, Yeah, we are supplying fewer tons of steel to automotive due to the, the problems they have with their very complex supply chains. For us, it is a blessing. Demand is very hot. We are doing business with other sectors that are all uh, firing in, in all engines. And uh, we are doing fant- – uh, fan- quarter has been fantastic. Uh, fourth quarter will be also very strong. So record over record, quarter over quarter. The street doesn't believe it. They've,
3: they think they've seen everything. Steel always goes down. The numbers next year, I think, are beatable if we get a federal infrastructure package because uh, steel of all different, all different
6: colorations continues to go higher in price. Well, they will believe when they see it, but uh, uh, by now they should have seen that prices have been going up for a year. And prices don't go up because uh, we decide to do so. It's all about supply and demand. It's all about managing the costs properly. And it's all about understanding what the consumer is taking. And uh, that's what we do. Uh, it's about time for these folks to uh, get rid of the past and understand that you are dealing with the present and uh, envisioning a future that will be bright for us.
3: And I when people who are thinking about buying the stock go over the conference calls, because Lorenzo is not shy about talking to analysts who don't know what they're doing, of which I agree with him. One thing that I found remarkable: fifteen hundred dollar bonuses for people get vaccinated turned your whole place around when it comes to uh, absenteeism and uh, health, didn't it?
6: Yeah. We did. Uh, we did that. We got to a level of 75% company-wide uh, in vaccination. We had locations. We have big steel plants like Indiana Harbor, the biggest steel plant in the country. 78% level of vaccination. Our new plant in Toledo, most modern direct reduction plant in the world, 81% vaccination rate. So we have herd immunity inside Cleveland cliffs. And by the way, all the locations that got. Uh, above seventy five percent vaccination rate instead of the fifteen hundred we paid three thousand, so we doubled in the locations that we were able to get to seventy five percent or better in vaccination rates so we got thirty one of our forty six locations above seventy five
3: percent one of my colleagues asked me to ask you well, what happens about the people who voluntarily got it i mean how do you what do you do about the guy who did it or a gal who did it uh and then it turns out if you held out you got a lot of money
6: yeah. And uh, some people that were vaccinated and they were they were not informing HR that they were vaccinated. I gave them 1,500 reasons to to confess that they were vaccinated. So there's a lot of uh, 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 things that uh, don't belong when you deal with a health care issue like uh, a serious health care issue like COVID. So I think we resolved that, and we're very pleased that we don't have a problem with COVID in our plants anymore. Now, uh, I think people
3: should know that you put together a couple of companies and people were very concerned about your balance sheet. I don't know. When I look at your balance sheet now, you're deleveraging rapidly.
6: Well, we're um, at this point where we are at a leverage ratio that is less than one time every time. So I was going through the the numbers and seeing what the last 12 months show and what the, the, the next 12 months will show. We are, our run rate is below one time a bit. Very few companies can say that. And, uh, okay, some uh, skepticals we still believe that steel prices uh, are going to collapse next year. And I'll tell Jim, they are not going to collapse next no, year. No,
3: absolutely. They, they are, are not- wrong. Uh, but then uh, there are a lot of critics who say, wait a second, this industry is a dirty industry. Maybe they should be uh, – we don't even want to be in the steel business. Where are we versus others in this world?
6: We are by far the cleanest steel industry in the entire world. All of our blast furnaces use iron ore pellets, zero tons of sinter. That's what uh, China uses. And Japan uses, the South Korea uses, China only uses sinter. We we do exactly the opposite. We use only pellets. We also have more electric arc furnaces than any any other uh, country in the world, 70 plus percent of steel production through electric arc furnaces. Cleveland Cliffs is uh, a mix of blast furnaces and electric arc furnaces. So we uh, have absolutely no iron. by the way, uh, we use HPI, hot right. briquette iron, in all of our blast furnaces. And we have the most modern and most uh, environmentally friendly direct reduction plant in the world. They spend $1 billion to do that started up in December 2020. So we need to advertise better what we do. We are very green, and we do all that with our own money. Well, I am a believer. You made me a believer in the single
3: digits when you told me that I would be wrong. I respect that, sir. I was. I got on board, and you have delivered Lorenzo Gonzalez, chairman, president and CEO of Cleveland Cliffs. Really great to see you again. Nice to see you as well,
6: Jim. Take take care. Thank Thank you for having me on.
3: Cleveland Cliffs. I believe their money's back in for the birth.
4: Coming up, this little stock of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Find out if this jeweler can be a precious rock in your portfolio next.
2: The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash businessgoldcard.
3: There's nothing I love more than getting a fabulous quarter for free. Last Thursday, we got an amazing set of numbers from Kramer Fave Signet Jewelers. It's the world's largest diamond jewelry play. You know them as K or maybe uh, Zales, uh, Jared, other brands? The stock had already been on a roll going into earnings. And if results, it rallied nearly 6% to $85. But since then, it's pulled back to 74 down 3 bucks today alone for no discernible reason. To me, that's crazy. Signets gotten into the habit of blowing away the estimates, and this time was no different. They earned $3.57. What was the street looking for? 70. And don't even get me started on the 97% same-store sales growth or the big increase in the full-year forecast. Yet not only are you getting Cigna's quarter for free, after today's 4% beatdown, the stock's off more than 5 bucks from where it was trading before the quarter. Could this be the terrific buying opportunity? Maybe I'm uh, missing something. Let's take a closer look with Jenna Drossos. She is the turnaround artist CEO of Signet Jewelers. Learn more about the quarter and where it is the company is headed. Ms. Drosos, welcome back to Mad Mind.
7: Hi, Jim. Great to be back.
3: It's great to see you. I am confused. I'm mystified. Maybe you can straighten me out. You have one of the best quarters I've seen in retail. Okay, you have fixed the balance sheet. You have got data driven insights and you're more profitable than ever before. And yet the stock is not humming the way I expected. What am I missing?
7: I don't think you're missing anything, Jim. The team delivered a really outstanding second quarter, uh, well above analyst expectations. We've raised our guidance for the back half of the year based on current momentum. The strategies we've put in place for Inspiring Brilliance are working. We're seeing that in our banner value propositions and differentiation, also in connected commerce, our new virtual capabilities like Online, you know, virtual jewelry consulting are working. So I think um, I think we're headed into the back half with more momentum and optimism than we had even going into the earnings call. Yeah, I
3: thought that perhaps people were saying, well, wait a second, 90 plus percent that does. That's one time only. But the fact is, you are much more profitable than you were before the pandemic.
7: Well, that's right, and we're expanding our operating margin, which I think is great news. Um, We're three and a half years into our transformation, and the team has been really focused on cost savings and efficiencies in a holistic way. Um, We delivered more than $300 million of cost savings as part of the first three years of transformation. We just took up our guide on cost savings for this year by ten million dollars to one hundred and five million. So that's on top of what we'd already saved, and we're seeing a lot of efficiency flowing through our balance sheet as well. Uh, very strong cash flow from operating activities. Strong cash position at a billion six. So um, really, I think the team is doing a great job in a holistic way.
3: Well, you promised me this a long time ago. You said you would deliver, and. Uh, you put through a lot of different things, but you also mentioned the comms call. Got a couple of things going for your industry consumer confidence, gifting at higher prices. High, I love this one, high self purchasing. Explain to me what this Serena line is about.
7: Well, I'm actually, I'm wearing it today. It's a fantastic new line. 60 pieces inspired by Serena Williams. She actually has helped us with the designs. And so we're launching it today at the U.S. Open. My team is out there meeting with editors all day sharing this line. We've had it in stores already for a couple of weeks and it's selling very well to start. Um, actually, I think that is a tribute to Serena and her personal strength, but also to our fabulous jewelry designers. And the line is gorgeous. I mean, I, I really think it's going to be a big hit for self-purchasers and also for gifting this holiday season. Another interesting trend, though, is that we're seeing men purchasing more jewelry for themselves and not just gold chains. We're seeing a lot of diamonds, diamond stud earrings, uh, diamond rings. And so I think that bodes well, not only for gifting, but for self-purchase as well, we go into the back half. All
3: right. Well, how about men uh, giving to women? Rising tide of engagement. Something new there.
7: Yeah, absolutely. So we're, um, we're seeing that as a trend. Um, more couples are getting engaged now. You know, the most likely people to get engaged are ones who have just recently attended a wedding. You know, couples who are near engagement go to the wedding and they think, hey, you know, we should do this. And so um, the fact that we're having a little bit of a reprieve here coming out of the first wave of covid, um, hopefully the the new variants don't put a stop on this, but people are able to go and celebrate each other's nuptials and it makes them want to to do the same thing.
3: Well, no, I, I said, well, maybe people, these analysts, maybe they're expecting supply. Chain. Problems, but it looks like you've even anticipated those.
7: We got way out in front of it. We have a fantastic strategic group of vendors. We were working with them early last spring on new lines that we wanted to bring to the market that we thought would reflect customer trends. And we got all of our orders in a month earlier than normal this year. The benefit of that is it's allowed our vendors to plan our production across the summer safely so that they can keep all their workers safe, but also they've been able to deliver more than 50% of our holiday orders to us already, and we're getting that immediately out into stores. And, and that's important. Because I think that Christmas shopping is going to happen this year earlier than ever. The early savvy shopper is already out looking for good deals, great gifting items. And uh, I think, you know, we've seen some reports that gifts may sell out uh, for this holiday, but, um, but at Signet will be in stock.
3: One last thing. Uh, Any problems finding employees, problems with COVID? You've got a dedicated workforce, but I'd like to think that you uh, can put on as many people as you need, because it sounds like to me the biggest issue will be, can you staff?
7: Well, we've done a couple of things on that front that I think are important. Uh, One, we've launched our purpose, Inspiring Love, and our employees are really excited about it. And we're seeing much higher retention rates of current employees. They just recently voted us to be a great place to work certified company. So the culture at Signet is really positive And I think people are very proud of what we're doing. Well, that, we've more than 85, more than 85 percent of our employees said they're proud to work at Signet, which is great. Well, I didn't want to bring um, up the also, past, but I yeah. know
3: what it was like. That's why I felt it's important to yeah. really to cheer you for what you've done to change the culture. It's really rather amazing. Well,
7: well Well, thanks, Jim. I mean, obviously, it's not just me. I mean, we've got 26,000 amazing team members. And and that's one of the things you and I talked about early on. I mean, we knew that for the transformation to be successful, we had to unlock the potential of our team. And I think we've done that.
3: Oh, I know you've done that. And to your
7: question about holiday, yeah, for holiday hiring. I mean, we're out already looking for new people, bringing them on, you know, every day now uh, with an even better training and development program well, than we've ever had in the past. I want
3: to congratulate you. I also want to say go Bulldogs. You should be number one.
7: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All
3: right. Gina Drosos is the CEO of Signature. Listen, guys, I mean it when I say you get this in a discount. You should buy S.I.J. You should buy it because of her and her team. They're winners. We have money back in you,
4: Coming up. When it comes to your online security, is A1 the A number one way to stay safe? Kramer sits down with a company leading the pack next.
3: Let's talk about one of the best IPOs of the past year. I'm talking about Sentinel One, Letter S, the cybersecurity company that came public with a bang in June. Deal price $35. Then the stock instantly jumped to 46 before climbing to the high 60s as of today. And it sure looks like that move was justified, because when Sentinel-1 reported it the close today, they delivered some excellent numbers. A nice top and bottom line beat with accelerating revenue growth, we call that ARG, and very solid guidance. All right, my one worry here, the stock's extremely expensive. Perhaps the most expensive in the group. That said, we want to learn more about this great story. And so if it does pull back, you got a chance to buy it. Let's dig deeper with Tomer Weingarten, the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Sentinel One, to find out more about the quarter and what comes next. Mr. Weingarten, welcome to Man Money.
1: Thank you for having me, Jim.
3: Okay, so Tomer, I've got to tell you, accelerating revenue growth is the magic elixir of what takes stocks higher. How are you, in what many people think is a crowded figure, getting accelerated revenue growth for Sentinel One?
1: Yeah, look, I think it all starts with uh with exceptional technology. And you know, we we've built such a holistic platform to protect, you know, not only endpoints but also cloud workloads and IoT devices. And and that's just, you know, in, in just very big demand right now. Um couple that with, you know, super robust go to market that is Spending, you know, complete global footprint, um, very rich channel ecosystem, which we have nurtured through the years. We don't compete with them; we actually empower them to deliver their services on top of our platform, and you get a very wide reach into the entire TAM. Um, you know, just increasing growth both in. Um, you know partners that that drive mssp revenues and incidence response services revenues um and on that you know kind of tack on the enterprise go to market that we've built and that is obviously something that is also accelerating you know we've Um, you know, expanded our our over, you know, year-over-year growth in uh, large enterprise deals over 100K, um, you know, and 140%. Deals over $1 million 225% year-over-year. So all in all, just massive growth in every aspect of the business. And, you know, momentum is definitely uh, keeping up. Now, uh, you mentioned total addressable
3: market, and it is expanding. Uh, Obviously, uh, the threat protection more necessary than ever. I want to drill down artificial intelligence. I think the bad guys we've often felt have an edge, but it sounds like you're playing offense uh, somewhat like uh, another company we had on Hidden Instinct, where you basically are able to predict and anticipate the bad guys. Is that what Sentinel One
1: is doing? Yeah, it's it's that. And I think our focus on, on, you know, prevention um, is really a key tenant of what we do for many years now. Um, is really, has really created a very unique approach where you don't just deal with, you know, uh, cleaning up infections or, or running after in chase down mode with everything that's happening in our environment. You can actually prevent breaches from happening to begin with. And, and that just removes, you know, a lot of the noise out there creates efficiencies and the, the level of machine learning that we have in the platform today that ranges from on device machine learning to cloud based machine learning. Um, is the most effective in the business. And it's something that is uh, becoming really a competitive mode for us. Um, you know, it's something that most of our next-gen competitive peers don't really have. Um, right. And, and it, again, it doesn't come on the expense of also a best-of-read EDR platform uh, with the most capabilities out there, according to Gartner, um, than any other period that we have now, in the market,
3: you, but is there enough room? I mean, Palo Alto was on. Uh, Nikesh rory put up an incredible number. We know CrowdStrike, amazing numbers. Is there some sort of like guess, kind of legacy business that is not working that everyone's uh, able to feast off of?
1: Absolutely. I think that you know that's the main driver in you know in our market. Um, you, you see still incumbents, very much entrenched with a lot of the legacy enterprises. And for us, I mean, that still represents the biggest opportunity in the market. Um, You know, we're seeing growing pipeline, we're seeing more opportunities. And also, you got to remember that these incumbents have mainly sold, you know, antivirus software. And today, when you look at modern companies like us, it's really a broad-based platform for every part of the business, from the classic endpoint footprint, but all the way to cloud workloads and IoT devices. I mean, it's a wide range of capabilities. It's a platform that today, you know, in our case, has about 24 different modules. So there's a lot to expend once you let one of these customers um, over time. I want to talk about ransomware for a second. I, I, for a long time, I felt ransomware
3: was a personal issue. There are certain people who got uh, fingered because they had gotten their daughter into brown or because they gotten their son into some place they shouldn't have. And the next thing you know, there's people trying to hide things. It now seems like it's a board level discussion where people at the highest level recognize ransomware and could lead to prosecution if they pay them off. Colonial Pipe made it so that we realize this is something that is at the heart of our entire infrastructure. Is that driving things?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, ransomware is is still a huge issue. Um, It touches everybody, you know, crosses continents. It it doesn't really recognize targets, right? I mean, it's, it's almost a Statistical game. I mean, they just spray around ransomware, these attackers, and eventually, you know, someone will get hit. And sometimes they actually compromise targets that they don't necessarily want to, want to target. Um, Colonial Pipeline, I think, was kind of a mishap in, in kind of in ransomware land. I don't know that they thought that they're taking down such, you know, a prominent, um, you know, key tenant of, of critical infrastructure. But at the same time, you know, people are just looking for ways to prevent ransomware. And when you look at machine learning, machine learning is actually such a great way to protect from ransomware because ransomware is a very structured problem. Machine learning is great in identifying deviations from normal, you know, baseline behavior and ransomware almost forever, forever looks very anomalous to, to benign behavior. And that's why, you know, our platform is one of the most effective ones in deflecting ransomware completely. Um, you know, we've immunized our customer base from ransomware over the past years, um, had zero infections. So to us, I mean, dealing with ransomware, Big part of what okay. we do, but at the same time, obviously, it's just part of the picture. You know, cybersecurity also has adversaries of all different kinds. Um, you know, different targets. IP is a big thing. Like data exfiltration right. is becoming even more of a concern for a lot of the large enterprises. So it's a myriad of different, you know, uh, different challenges in cybersecurity today. I just want to circle back. It's a Deep Instinct
3: that I talked to, and one of the things that they made a point to say is, is that false positives are an issue. Uh, they also don't want to. They want to differ from everyone else by offering. Uh, uh, really basically a, uh, a guarantee, a financial guarantee.
1: Can you do what the people at Deep Instinct do? Funny, funny that you mentioned the guarantee. I mean, we were the first company on this planet to actually provide a million-dollar guarantee for ransomware. So I think the others have followed. And I think that Deep Instinct folks, um, you know, we appreciate what they do. And I think they've looked at what we've done over the years, and I think they've learned a lot. Um, but all in all, you know, today, um, what we do is so expansive. It's much beyond just endpoint protection, much beyond just machine learning. I mean, we own a data analytics company. We're incredibly proficient in, in ingesting petabytes of real time data and getting into insights. Um, that, that's highly different than a point solution that deals with, you know, only machine learning based prevention. Got it.
3: Well, look, Tomer, I mean, it's just another series of great numbers. I hope people realize, of course, expensive stock, but accelerating revenue growth, offering a guarantee, everything that people want out of a cybersecurity company. Tomer Weingarten, co founder, chairman, CEO of Sentinel One, letter S. Thank you so much, sir.
1: No, thank you so much.
3: Right, guys, expensive stock, uh, doing a lot of good. Remember, we have Palo Alto, they're doing well, CrowdStrike, but it's not a crowded field because there's some legacy inc- uh, players, incumbents, who frankly,
4: just don't know what they're doing. We have money, Speck, and the break. Coming up next... Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round.
3: It is time! time to start the light Round! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Steve? Dad, time for the lightning round because I'm going to start with Gregory in California. Gregory, hello, Jim. Welcome back from Italy, my friend. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Did you bring the Did you bring the green pass back uh, for all of us? Well, I got. I brought. Um, I, I don't know. I brought a brioche suit. Anyway. What's up? <laughs> so listen, wouldn't it be great if we could know what diseases? we might be prone to or predisposed to. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing sure. you know, early in life just by doing a simple test? OK, it's not Facebook, but I think this company could well be the next one. OK, I'm talking about 23andMe. You know, this stock's at eight bucks. I mean, honestly, I think it should be higher, especially if you want to listen to Glaxo's decline Let's get them on the show. Something must be wrong for that stock to be at eight bucks. I want to go to Melinda in Kansas. Melinda.
7: Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Okay. I love your show. You make learning fun, and I really appreciate that. Thank you. So, here's my question Uh, Several months ago, you introduced us to Appalachian Harvest, and I thought it was such a good idea. I bought some, but now they've fallen on hard times, and I wondered Uh, what you're doing. Melinda, Melinda,
3: Melinda, I've got to tell you, it's one of those stories that almost seems too good to be true. It's, It's agritech which has got to be the future, right? It's got to be, but the future is not now. It's too early for that stock. I like the principles, though. Let's go to Samuel in Georgia. Samuel. Hey, Jim. Thanks for all you do. Thank you. Uh, I wanted to ask
1: you about a stock I bought early in the pandemic. I've made a great return, I want, and I like how they bought new properties. I think Barry Sternlicht is a genius. What are your thoughts on Starwood Property Trust? Take a-
3: well, I think Barry Sternlich is a genius. How about the fact he came in? came on when the stock was in 18 and people worry about the dividend and he came on and he said it's safe and it's a growth company and he was right and he's welcome on the show anytime he wants to be. Let's go to Colin in Pennsylvania. Colin.
6: Hey, big Philly Booyah to you, Jim. Go bird.
3: Big Atlantic game. Gonna be a beatdown for Chuck (laughs) Robbins. Let's hope he has a good time. What's Uh, up? Not much. So I bought this stock last year with with Cohen and everything. The figure I'm calling about is
1: Big Lots. What do you think oh. about their, uh, after their earnings?
3: Colin, I told you, I mean, I, you know, Big Lots, they've been angry at me ever since I said that I didn't like all the, di- all the different, like, chips, you know, like uh, potato chips in the aisle when I was trying to buy stuff. But I got to tell you, I was right. Okay, let's go to John in Massachusetts. John. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Hey, I'm considering buying a stack that's been out for a few weeks now, um, but my concern is they have a lot of older high-time aircraft. Tell me, Jim. How will that affect their profitability as maintenance costs rise and new assets are needed at Wheels Up? I always thought the Wheels Up was more of a private club than a public. But then again, you know what? I got to tell you. I was right. Uh, let's go to Sam in Kentucky. Sam. How's it going, Jim? What's going on, partner? They're calling about Smith & Wesson, SWBI. Well, you know... A few months ago, it was at an all-time high, and
6: since then, it's continued to keep dropping.
3: Well, I think that people feel that there was, uh, you know, like these stocks trade on gun legislation. People think that there is going to be gun legislation and they make it a focus to be able to buy guns. But it has not seemed to be a major focus of the Biden administration. So people are just saying, hey, business as usual. And that's not good enough to support the stock. Tom and Maine. Hey, Tom in Maine. Tom. Hey, Jim. Welcome back. Thank you, Tom. Good to be back. I'm like Lloyd in uh, the Overlook. What's going on? Well, I got a question. I... I don't understand Rio Tinto. It's got a huge dividend and a small PE, and it keeps going down. Well, because this is one of those stocks that people think, uh, I got to tell you, people think this one is not going to have a good number next year. Remember, people feel like if you buy a stock this year and the number's going to go down next year, you got to sell it. I disagree with them. I like the stock, and I'm going with you with Rio. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the of the Lightning Round.
4: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, compared to the U.S., what is Italy doing so well to give COVID the boot? Kramer's back in action with lessons learned from a trip across the pond. Next.
1: Jim Kramer, you're
3: one of my heroes.
7: I look forward to your show every weeknight. Thank you so much for helping beginning investors like me.
3: When you talk about the market, I just
6: believe that you're spot on.
3: Oh, I love it. Thank you so much. Every night we watch you,
7: I have learned and earned.
3: (laughs) Nothing like going overseas to get a fresh perspective on COVID. Now, you might remember that we realized this pandemic was going worldwide when northern Italy got hit with a huge outbreak in February of last year. So right around M- Milan Fashion Week, uh, tourists coming in from all over the world. The Italian healthcare system was quickly overwhelmed. and One of the world's ultimate tourist destinations turned into one of the most dangerous places on Earth. I went back there last week, though, and I can tell you I've never felt safer. You know why? Because it's so hard to get into Italy, you need a written negative PCR test confirmation. More important, it's so difficult to go anywhere without what's known as a green pass. That's Europe's vaccine passport, and it's the reason the EU now has a 70% vaccination rate and going higher. What a change from six months ago when they hardly had anyone vaccinated compared to the U.S. In Italy, you need your green pass. you got to have it on at all times. Any restaurant, any store has a right to ask you for your card and refuse service if you don't have them. Fortunately, they accepted our fully vaccinated cards, but I don't know how long that will last, given their flimsy nature. So a couple of scrolls on a beaten up almost three by five card. In Italy, they're so strict that a friend of ours who hadn't gotten her pass yet, even though she'd gotten both shots, was turned down. We went to get gelato together. I mean, while we were there, we learned that the government's thinking about making vaccines mandatory to ensure they don't get hit with another outbreak. When I spoke to some public health officials in Italy, I suggested uh, uh, that would seem pretty draconian if we did it here, where there's been so much resistance to getting immunized. I got an earful in response. One of the doctors who runs a major clinic explained that this is not a freedom issue. It's a public health issue. In Italy, the government and private industry both seem eager to wipe out the virus, even if they make some people angry in the process. Thank you, Mario Draghi, the excellent European central banker turned Italian prime minister. Now, compare that to our country, where carrying an infectious disease is treated as a freedom of expression issue. We act like you have a constitutional right to catch COVID and give it to other people. Beyond the public health aspects, though, the pandemic's doing something else. It's turning around Europe's long dormant economy. Tourism internally is way up, even as tourism from America is way down. The companies I talk to, both tech and non-tech, are seeing incredible numbers out of Europe. We're hearing from cloud software players like Salesforce.com, where the European numbers were spectacular, but also of power retailers like PVH, where Tommy Hilfiger and Calvin Klein were both well above plan in Europe. Nobody's looking for that one. For over a decade, I've tried to steer clear of companies with lots of European exposure, because it's almost always been a mistake. But when the EU goes 70 percent vaccinated, leaving us in the dust, you know, many of their supply chain equipment problems, they're about to go away. Have green passable we'll travel. If not, stay home. No, I'm not saying we should all get vaccinated to make the economy stronger, although that would work. I'm saying we should all get vaccinated so we can be healthy. Once we've got our shots, we can go back to turbocharged growth mode instead of getting more anemic employment numbers like the one we saw last Friday. Look, Italy's still a fragile economy. It needs more U.S. tourists to really go great guns. But when people start traveling on mass again, something tells me they're going to head to Italy. Why not? In the last 18 months, I've never felt safer. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.
5: People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Jenny!